Grab your coffee, turn up Dawn and Steve as Michael Rydelnik is here for Bible Q&A. Get those questions in to 800-555-7898. And later in the hour, Todd Nelson from Voice of the Martyrs will be with us. Looking forward to both these conversations and inviting you to be a part. Again, if you have a Bible question, text that in right now as uh, Dr. Michael Rydelnik joining us, the host of Open Line, professor and dean at Moody Bible Institute, author of the 50 Most Important Bible Questions. And Michael, have you thought out a little bit? You uh, you and Eva doing okay? You, you've not uh, turned into popsicles, have you? Yeah, it's actually up to twenty four degrees. We're feeling really, really warm. Oh man, you're having a heat wave up there. <laughs> right, yeah, well. except you know we had a really nice uh, warm weather down. We went down for a special live event down in Boca Raton, and had an open line live. Well, you down figured out how to schedule that correctly, didn't you, my friend? Yeah, we did. Good and, job. Uh, interestingly, that people were saying. Oh, it's like 60 degrees here. It's so cold. And I'm like, yeah, we're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Everything's relative, isn't it? Well, if you've got a Bible question this morning, you can text that in 800-555-7898. Jan texting in from Tuscaloosa and asking the question, Michael, what happens to a person that dies and has never heard the good news of Jesus? Well, you know, I've never been there, so I, I I I don't feel that I can speak absolutely categorically, but I will. Okay. And the reason is that uh, the Book of Romans uh, talks about general revelation. Here's what it called: general revelation is the revelation that can be known by all. In Revelation, in Romans 1, verse 20, it says, For God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. What this is saying is that the creation was sufficient uh to draw people to seek god and if they didn't they are without excuse they had sufficient revelation i i think what it's saying is there was sufficient revelation in the creation to condemn and sufficient to provoke greater seeking the true god and it is true uh the uh the book eternity in their hearts talks about how in many, many fields where the people had never heard when someone in a a tribe or people group responded to the creation, that's when the missionaries came, Hmm. when when they did. So uh, it says, for though they knew God through the creation, they didn't glorify him as God and show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. What it is that when people saw the creation, they started saying, oh, there's a sun god, Ra, or right. whatever it is, they created false gods. And what instead of responding to the creation to seek the true God, they responded to it by turning away from the true God. So I believe that there's sufficient general revelation, although today in our world, in our time, uh, it's virtually no one has never heard of God. 
You know, I remember uh, having a conversation with the other Michael, Dr. Michael Van Lanningham, and, and the two of you, uh, you know, often tackling Bible questions together. And he was talking about this and saying, okay, if the gospel is the thing that saves, if it is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, conquering sin, and belief that Jesus has done what he said he did, and he is who he says he is, as revealed in the pages of Scripture, if that if that is what, uh, you know, it, it brings about salvation, God saves through the gospel and the life of Jesus, and someone has never heard the gospel, then ultimately that person would be separated from God for eternity. And on our humanity, on our human side, I think a lot of us can say, but that, Michael, that seems really unfair. Uh, mm-hmm. If somebody's never heard the good news of the gospel, it doesn't seem like God is being very fair or very just. So, Although, although he, gave, he, he is being fair because he gave sufficient revelation in creation. Uh, and if they respond to that, instead of running away from it, he'll give more information. And then I think this is the great motivation, though, that that uh, that we need to motiv- that should motivate us to go and bring the gospel. How can they? It says, how can they call on him? They have never believed him, mm-hmm. and how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring or announce the gospel of good things. Now, what I wonder is, now I'm I'm not saying this to the person who asked this question, but very often when people give me a a hard time about what about those who have never heard, and this person's not giving me a hard time, so I'm not saying that. But when I do get people who give me a hard time about that, I always ask them, how much are you giving to send people to tell the people who have never heard? What's your what's your missions budget look like for you personally? And uh, it's interesting. They're not responding to what Paul says in Romans ten. Yeah. You know, how should they preach unless they are sent? Are we sending people? If I'm concerned about this, I better be sending people. It's a good uh, application and challenge for each one of us this morning. If you've got a Bible question for Dr. Michael Rydelnik, text that in right now, 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. Talking with Dr. Michael Rydelnik this morning, taking your questions about the Bible. Again, that number to text in those questions, 800-555-7898. Michael, as you talk about bringing the good news to the lost, I think one of the stories that my mind goes to is uh, the story of Philip taking the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, as we uh, read about in the the book of Acts. And you were talking about, you know, how God will, in a sense, when the when the audience is ready, when the people are ready. Uh, whether it's through the revelation of nature or some other way that God has begun to stir in somebody's uh, somebody's heart, uh, in a sense, the missionary shows up, and and we see that with uh, Philip there. Do we still see that type of thing? The that account of you know Philip being told to go to a certain spot, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. Do we still see that kind of stuff happening today? I'm not sure. Uh... It says uh, in Acts 8, uh, when it says, Philip 
The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. That road still exists, by the way, which I think is interesting, right out of Jerusalem. That is cool. Gaza. It's interesting. Uh, and also you see in later in the book of Acts, Paul has a vision about come to Macedonia, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I never want to put limits on God. I think God has given us his word. I think at this point, he generally, the, the way God communicates with missionaries is he puts burdens on their hearts and uh, directs them that way uh, to be obedient to the word, to make disciples of the nations. And then the, the local, the locale is based on burden and need, not so much, generally speaking, an angel message, giving a message or a vision, I, I would say. Okay. Um, this is like not a theolo- like doctrinally important, theologically important question, but just one that I've heard kicked around uh, before and just wondering if you have any uh, insight or, or thoughts on this. Um, the Philip that met that Ethiopian eunuch, is that the same Philip that was one of the apostles or is that one of the Philips? Is that uh, Philip that was mentioned in Matthew chapter six? Is like one of the early deacons of the church who was well, in, in Acts six? What you mean? Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That I don't think he's one of the apostles. I think he's an apostolic delegate sent by the apostles. Uh, and it talks about. It's interesting. They had that whole problem with uh, the serving of the women Jewish widows who were from the Hellenistic world mm-hmm. and living in Jerusalem. And it was, it seemed to be a, not a, I, it's often made, Oh, look, look, even Jews are being distinguishing and bigoted. It didn't seem to be a bigotry problem because the answer that they chose was not really bigotry to deal with it. Yeah. They decided it was an administrative it's, problem. It's made, right. And so they organized it, and then it was fine. They gave, they what they did is they adopted the principle that was in the synagogue, which is every synagogue had seven men who were responsible for the uh, administration of charitable and community needs, which I think is interesting. And they said, "Oh, we we better go and adopt what the synagogue does, and we're going to do it this way." And then you've got the list of them, uh, and. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then five others. And what's interesting is they laid hands on them, and then in chapter uh, 7, you get the story of Stephen and his proclamation of the gospel. Yep. And then chapter 8, you get the story of Philip and his proclamation of the gospel. All right. So that's uh, interesting. I, I've heard people say, no, it's that Philip, or others say, no, it was Philip the Apostle, and so I, I appreciate you kind of bringing it's that a problem. little... It's a problem. I'll tell you, the New Testament problem is no last names. Exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, your your question, or your uh, insight on that. One last question as it relates to names, yeah. though. Yeah. Um, the Apostle uh, Paul, before his conversion, was known as Saul. And mm-hmm. uh, do you believe that that was just simply... A reference from, uh, you know, a, a Jewish name of Saul to a more, as he went out to reach the Gentiles, uh, a more Greek 
pronunciation of his name as, as Paul, or was he, in a sense, renamed by God in some way? Did God say, you were Saul, now I'm going to call you Saul like Abram to Abraham? Remember, the Greco-Roman world had a tremendous impact, and uh, the land of Israel had fallen under the Greco-Roman influence. So Peter, uh, his Hebrew name is Simon, mm -hmm. which means rock or stone. And he was he also had a Greek name, right? Yep. Uh, and Paul was from Tarsus. He was he he had a, a Hellenistic name, Paul, as well as his Hebrew name, Saul. Hey, listen, it's still like that. I have a Hebrew name and an English name, and they're not the same. And so I think all you have in the book of Acts is when Paul begins his missionary journey among the Gentiles. Uh, Luke makes it, I don't think it's that no one ever called him Saul anymore. It's just Luke wants to make it really clear that with the beginning of the missionary journeys in chapter 13, we see the change uh, from Saul to, to, you know, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And then all of a sudden, he becomes Paul. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's just in verse 9 of chapter 13, then Saul, also called Paul. Now we're in the missionary journey of the Gentiles. Luke chose, chooses to use that name. That name. All right. Well, appreciate uh, your insight into that. Dr. Mike Rydelnik joining us just about every Monday, taking your Bible questions. If you have a Bible question that pops up during the week, save that, and you can uh, text that in the following Monday. Michael, uh, I hope that you and Eva have a great week. Stay warm, my friend, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. You know, in this country, we can worship freely, right? That is one of the rights that we're guaranteed. Now, we may not, you know, by society standards, we may be kind of marginalized a little bit and looked down upon just a little bit by, by culture, but legally, not a problem. Other countries around the world, that is not the case. Persecution uh, is very, very strong. And so one of the things that uh, the State Department often does is take a look at countries, what they call countries of particular concern as it relates to religious freedom. And Todd Nettleton, a voice of the martyrs, joining us this morning to uh, talk a little bit about that and a few other things as it relates to the persecuted church. And uh, Todd, this, this list, countries of particular concern, is that something that is released and updated annually? It is released and updated annually. So this is a the International Religious Freedom Act. I believe it first passed in 1998. So this is, we're now 25 years. And every year the State Department issues this report. Uh, some years they do it with a lot of fanfare and they try to drive a lot of attention to it. Uh, some years they kind of do it on a Friday afternoon when they hope nobody notices. <laughs> and so, uh, but it's always interesting to see. And you know, I, I'm sympathetic to our friends in the State Department because they obviously, religious freedom is not the only issue that they deal with, sure. um, but they do want to shine a light on places that are violating religious freedom. And so this is one of the ways that they do that. Well, one of the uh, things that is interesting about this year's list, you're reporting, is that India, Nigeria, Afghanistan left off the list, and that's raising some questions. Why is this a big deal? Well, it it really is raising some questions. When you think about countries of particular concern, and the State Department definition is these are the worst violators of religious freedom around the world, and then you look at a country like India, and in fact, uh, we are getting ready to send, and if you get the Voice of the Martyrs magazine in just a couple of weeks, you'll get a special white paper report on the fact that 
we're changing how we classify India to call it a restricted nation. And, you know, people, you know, what what is that? What does that mean? We classify places where Christians are persecuted into restricted nations or hostile areas. And we've always had India on the hostile list because it wasn't the government that was doing the persecution. There were radical Hindu groups, maybe there were state governments that passed anti-conversion laws. But when you looked at the national government, they weren't the persecutor. You really can't say that anymore. As you look at Prime Minister Modi, as you look at what he is doing, what he has done, the national government of India is the main persecutor now. That's why we're classifying it that way. And it's hard to believe the State Department doesn't see that as well. Like, like they are looking at this. They have people who are watching. They're counting incidences of religious freedom violations. And they count, I mean, a Voice of the Martyrs, we're concerned about persecuted Christians. They also look at other religious minorities. And when you talk about India, you talk about Muslims being persecuted as well. So it's one of those things, like it's a head-scratcher, and so much so, in fact, that the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which is a bipartisan group that makes recommendations to the State Department, they actually called for congressional hearings on the fact that India was left off this list. They're like, hey, we need to dig deeper. We need to figure out what they're doing at the State Department. How did they miss this? I've never seen that before. I've never seen that level of sort of publicly calling out the State Department uh, by the USERF or or by anyone else. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Uh, and as you talk about the fact that we're, we're looking at religious persecution, we do tend to think of that from that Christian viewpoint. But you also mentioned it could be persecution against Muslims uh, as well. And there was a, I understand, a mosque that was burned, and now the Hindus have done something there, and the prime minister's behind it. What, what's going on there? This is, a, this is a really interesting story. So this is in the context of the fact that there will be national elections in India in April and May. So Prime Minister Modi, the Hindu nationalist prime minister, is running for his third term. And today in India, he is dedicating the site of a new Hindu temple. Now, you know, that would be sort of newsworthy itself, except this Hindu temple is being built on the ruins of a mosque that burned down several years ago. So you have the Muslims in India saying, wait a minute, that was a mosque. That that should be Muslim ter- ground. You should build a new mosque there. And uh, the prime minister is saying, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to build a Hindu temple. In fact, a huge Hindu temple complex, one of the Indian government ministers called it our version of Vatican City, which if you've ever been to Vatican City is huge. So they're saying this is sort of the world headquarters of Hinduism, and Modi's there today to dedicate the site. Talking with Todd Nettleton of Voice of the Martyrs this morning, and we're going to come back, continue the conversation, talk about some of the places around the world where persecution is, uh, you know, most active in ways that we can pray most effectively. But we want to connect you with Voice of the Martyrs. You can go directly to persecution.com. That is persecution.com. We'll put the link on the Facebook page as well. Todd Nettleton, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, joining us, talking about the persecuted church around the world. And uh, there's a, a list that comes out every year, countries of particular concern released by the State Department as it relates to religious freedom. And uh, India, Nigeria, Afghanistan, curiously left off the list that just came out. And Todd, we've been talking about what's been going on in India, but Afghanistan, Nigeria, why would those countries potentially deserve to be on the list? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. They a couple of years ago, they changed the way they do this list and they added some categories. So they now have entities of particular concern, which, you know, it's like Boko Haram in Nigeria. It's not a government entity, but it's something there that is persecuting, that is limiting religious freedom. Interestingly, in Afghanistan, so the Taliban is identified as an entity of particular concern. The Taliban does not respect religious freedom. That's certainly true. But the Taliban is the government of Afghanistan. So right. it's like, how do you not say Afghanistan is a country of particular concern when you're saying an entity of particular concern actually controls the government? You know, and, and it's one of those like, I I, ser- I don't know. I've not seen any kind of explanation. Like, how do you get, how do, how do you match those up? I don't know how the State Department did that. Wow. Uh, yeah, that is kind of a head scratcher as to <laughs> why they would uh, come out in that way. But that causes a lot of us to say, OK, so there are big issues and things that we can be in prayer about. And a lot of the times I think we don't pray because we don't necessarily know how to pray. We don't feel very well informed with what's going on and what prayer requests would be. But that's where Voice of the Martyrs steps in and says, hey, we got you. For those who want to pray for the persecuted church, Todd, what's the best way to get info? We have lots of resources to help you pray, and the reason for that is very simple. That's the first thing persecuted Christians ask us to do. The very first thing they want us to do for them is to pray for them. One of the resources that we have is the Global Prayer Guide. It is printed. It's more than 100 pages. Uh, It is a beautifully produced thing, and it's something you can set beside your Bible. You can set it in your prayer closet, and what it does is it helps you go beyond just saying, God bless persecuted Christians. Because you look in the Global Prayer Guide, and it lists out the countries where Christians are persecuted, and it looks at, hey, what is it like to be a Christian in Nigeria? Hey, who who are the persecutors in North Korea? Who Who are the people behind the persecution? How hard is it to get a Bible in China? So that as you're praying throughout 2024, again, it's more than just God bless persecuted Christians. That is a great place to start. But the Global Prayer Guide helps you go beyond that and go deeper than that and say, hey, God, help the delivery of Bibles in China, where the government is just cracking down so severely against the spread of God's Word. Allow our brothers and sisters to have access to Bibles there. Again, just helps you pray more knowledgeably throughout 2024. Persecution.com to get connected with Voice of the Martyrs. Encourage you to go check that out and to be praying for our brothers and sisters who do need that uh, that support and that help there. Last country I want to touch on here briefly, um, Maldives. I, I love exotic vacation locales. I see pictures of this place all the time. It's kind of on my bucket list of like, I want to go there before I die. But apparently there's some religious stuff we need to be aware of there, huh? It is. It's on my bucket list, too. You, you see those pictures and you're like, man, Lord, call me to that right. place. That's where I want to go. Um, so far, he hasn't called me there. But Maldives is a very difficult place to be a follower of Jesus Christ, particularly for the Maldivian people. In fact, there are only a handful. I've heard maybe 25 Maldivian Christians in the world. And the Maldivian constitution says, if you are a citizen, you are required to be a Sunni Muslim. And so if you stand up and say, hey, I'm not a Muslim anymore, I'm a Christian, you're basically renouncing your citizenship. You're saying, I'm not a citizen anymore. And the government is saying, well, we don't owe you anything. We don't owe you any protection. You're not a citizen now. You know, it's not our problem. The other thing that has happened, and we had a presentation last week in our chapel service at BOM, and I found this very fascinating. For about 30 years, 
There have been efforts to translate the Bible into the Maldivian language. And throughout that 30 years, there has been setback after setback. People who were involved in that suddenly got cancer and died. Uh, just a number of people died very suddenly after getting involved in that translation project. And, you know, my immediate thought is, well, this is not a translation battle. This is not a health battle. This is a spiritual battle. Yep. God doesn't want the Bible in the Maldivian language. So I would encourage people to pray for that translation process that's ongoing. Oh, that's a great thing to be in prayer about. Yeah, you see the spiritual warfare going on right there as you describe that. Well, if you want to find out more about how you can pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who claim the name of Christ and are persecuted for that, get connected with Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com. Todd Nettleton joining us, the host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio and author of When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Again, to find out more, persecution.com.